welcome to Pints and Politics. We are a podcast that focuses on political life in Peterborough, Ontario, and Canada. Today, I'm going to look at the issues surrounding the forthcoming hearing between CARN and CNSC, the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission, which will happen on March 21st. So with me is Peter Harris. Peter is one of the uh, main organizers of CARN, and so he will walk us through the issue and why this is important. So Peter, to start off with, tell us what CARN is about and what BWXT, the company, is attempting to do. Hi, Bill, and hello to your listeners. Uh, I am uh, a neighbor of this facility in Peterborough, which is along Monaghan Road. Uh, is just across the street, uh, so 25 meters away from the junior playground at Prince of Wales School. And that is the school that my children attended. So this facility is close to my home, and it's also uh, close to the school that my, my, my kids attended. And uh, CARN is uh, Citizens Against Radioactive Neighborhoods, which is a, a community group uh, organized by neighbors of this uh, facility, um, by and large, or, or certainly all of us are residents of Peterborough, and all of us have a concern about how this facility impacts our neighborhood and also impacts the school immediately across the street. So we are in the court, court in, in process of uh, a judicial review. Um, so we've asked the federal court to review the decision that the CNSC made two years now uh, ago, and that decision uh, was to allow BWXT to expand its facility in Peterborough, to allow it to pellet, uh, radioactive pellets, to be used in Kandu. So the process will involve taking uranium dioxide powder, uh, centering it at very high temperatures under a hydrogen atmosphere, and a pure hydrogen atmosphere, that is, and compressing it into these pellets. And the pellets subsequently get loaded into bundles, and the bundles are sealed and shipped off to Pickering and off to uh, Darlington nuclear reactors. Uh, up to this point, we've been taking pre-made pellets and putting them into bundles. So the new process is taking powder, uh, compressing it, heating it under uh, extreme temperatures with that hydrogen gas as a reducing agent. And that is a process that's new to Peterborough. So BWXT applied three years ago to do that. The CNSC decision came through, I believe it's two years ago now, and the decision was to allow them to start pelleting in Peterborough. And through our research, we haven't been able to find any other facility like this in the world. There's no other facility, a class one nuclear facility, where nuclear fuels are manufactured this close to a public school Again, 25 meters away from the junior playground uh, of Prince Wales School and in the middle of a residential area. Uh, so this is obviously an anomaly as far as decisions go uh, internationally. There, there's really not any precedent for it. Could you possibly, uh, these, are very, these are complex issues and a lot behind them, but could you sort of narrow down to what the pending court hearing is all about? Like, What's at stake here? 
Okay, well, if I go back to the hearings, which happened uh, three years ago again, or is it two years ago, Bill? Two years, yeah. Okay, so uh, <laughs> this happened with widespread opposition in Peterborough. So um, the CNSE regularly holds hearings across the country for nuclear facilities. The CNSE is the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission, and it is the, the big body that is in charge of, of nuclear safety in Canada. It's the one that regulates and gives licenses out, and uh, they try to ensure that the uh, safety of nuclear facilities in Canada is paramount. At least that's what they're supposed to be. I would argue that bringing this facility into the middle of a residential area is exactly the opposite of that, but that, that's digressing at this point, I guess. But in any case, we had more people out to this hearing uh, than ever before. Uh, we had comments from, nuclear, from CNSE staff saying that the uh, presenters were all very articulate. Um, they were very interesting presentations, and I think they understood why this was an issue. Um, you don't bring danger uh, where there's uh, no need to bring danger. I mean, you don't you don't heighten risk for people. That's that's one of the things that the CNS should should be avoiding. And our argument would be that that's they, they haven't done that. So this this hearing happened. Uh, the decision was made in spite of all the, this opposition, uh, or in the face of all this opposition, the, the decision was made to allow BWXT to ex- expand its facility. So as part of the process, we uh, can appeal the the decision, and we've decided to do that. We've gone for a judicial review, which means that the decision is taken before a federal judge, and we're going to ask the judge to review that decision. In light of the fact that the Canadian Nuclear Safety Act is very clear about what should happen before a decision is made about licensing, the CNSC should see plans. They should have a very good idea of where the risks are in this facility or any facility. They should know exactly where points of emission are and where uh, where those emissions are going to flow from and where they're going to go to. Uh, and potentially, you know, in our case, we want to know if those emissions are going to head over towards the, the junior playground of Prince of Wales School. So we're, we're very concerned that the, the decision did not follow the Canadian Nuclear Safety Act. Another component that they, they seem to have ignored is the ALARA principle, as low as reasonably achievable. This is the same principle that your dentist would use uh, when you go in for an x-ray. I mean, every time you see a dentist, he's not going to say or she's not going to say, you need an x-ray. Uh, they're not going to say that. It would benefit the dentist, but it wouldn't benefit you as a patient. So the Alara principle says that you shouldn't expose people to uh, radiation unnecessarily. And this is something that the CNSC is supposed to follow, and it seems to have ignored here. In the commission, there was recognition, however. Uh, so the commission is actually five, has five members. Those are the people who actually make the decision. There's hundreds of employees at the CNSC. Uh, but there's only five commission members, and those fit commission members are the ones who are supposed to be qualified to, to make decisions about licensing and licensing in Peterborough. So that, that commission decided that uh, BWXT should be allowed to pellet here in Peterborough, but there's, there was one important exception. There was a dissension within 
within that decision. That very rarely happens with CNSC decisions. Uh, most often they say yes. In, in this case, four of them said yes, and one of them said no. The four who said yes were all uh, engineers. Uh, three of them had worked in the nuclear industry, and the only opposition was from the one person with a biology background, an MD with a background in radiation, a radiologist, and also a background in public health. Uh, and he said that the Alara principle means that you shouldn't be transferring this facility to Peterborough. You're going to increase the risk for children, and that risk cannot be ignored. Um, so this is why we're going back uh, to the federal government, or the, the federal court, and we're saying, look, you have to pay attention to the planning. You can't, if you went to the, uh, the city and asked the city for, to build a house or to make a renovation on your house, the first thing you're going to do is present the plans because the city has no idea what you're going to be up to without seeing those plans and knowing how they're going to impact the neighbors or, or your neighborhood. Likewise, the Canadian Nuclear Safety Act says you have to present plans. You have to show where emissions are going to be. It should be very clear what the risks are. And the CNSA made a decision without knowing what the plans were. So that's why we're going to court. Okay. Now, if I put on my uh, Chamber of Commerce hat for a moment, I would say uh, that Peterborough has had uh, the highest unemployment in Canada this winter at various times. Wouldn't this pelleting operation bring in desperately needed jobs to, to this town? Well, it probably would bring in a, a few few jobs. We're, we're not really, it's not really clear to us how many it would actually bring in. Uh, we haven't seen the plans for this facility, as, as I just said. <laughs> and, you know, that's a big deal. Um, so right now they house a couple hundred engineers at this facility and with a, a modified facility, we're not sure if those, those, some of those people will re be retained. So if we look at the 50 or 60 jobs that are currently in Toronto, where the pelleting currently occurs, if we brought those 50 or 60 jobs up, we would expect that there would be some savings as far as redundancy goes. So we would expect to lose maybe a handful, you know, five, between five and 10, we'd lose there. We, so, you know, maybe our number is down to 40 or 30. Uh, and then we'd have to ask ourselves, well, what does the new facility mean? Is it going to displace some of those high-paying engineering jobs? For, for the pelting process? We don't know that. I, I know that the president of BWXC is on record as, uh, as saying that he would like to bring some of the jobs uh, that curr currently are, are in Cambridge and Peterborough closer to the Bruce nuclear re reactor. Uh, so he's, he's definitely on record as saying that. And whether or not that means engineering jobs, we're not sure. We, we don't know what the plans are. So the actual number of jobs being brought into the plant is, is an open question. And uh, as BWXT said, many plans, and, and uh, uh, you know, in a sense that they, they don't have any plans to bring the, the facility to, to Peter. They said this many, many times. So they don't have any physical plans. They haven't drawn anything. And they say that they don't have any plans. So it's a really open question. And again, I don't know how the CNSC could have made a decision about this without having a little bit more of a concrete idea of what it actually involves. A couple of points I would like to make, though, is that, you know, we, uh, those of us who are fortunate enough to be homeowners at this time, our stakes in homeownership 
that it represents such a huge part uh, of our, our futures. If, as we get older, we're going to be dependent on the value of those homes. Uh, if we bring in a facility that's going to diminish the value of those homes, you know, that's a big concern for all of us. And uh, I, I'm, economically, if we're talking about economics, I'm, I'd really be interested in knowing what the long-term advantage is of having a, uh, an expanded Class One nuclear facility in the middle of, of, of Peterborough. Okay, now how do we know that this palleting operation that BWXT is proposing and that CNSC has approved, how do we know that this operation might be a threat to human health and the local environment? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's really hard. And I've, I've got a science background and uh, I'm, I'm not afraid of, of reading about things. I've got a lot <laughs> about science, science-related things, I should say. Uh, and I've done a lot of um, reading around this and I, I've done a lot of research as uh, have, have other members. Of, and one of the concerns we have is how do you quantify the risk associated with this facility? Uh, how do you quantify the risk associated with a child inhaling a particle of uranium or I shouldn't say a particle, but a grain would be a more accurate word to, to describe it, uh, or a granule, a granule of uranium dust inhaled into the lung of a child. That granule has the potential to be in the child's body for his or her entire life, for 70 or presumably 80 years, well, the full lifespan of the child. What kind of risks are associated with that? We know that uranium, is an alpha emitter. The argument is that an alpha emitter, uh, it's a very low alpha emitter. Its half-life is very long, so uh, it really doesn't decay at a rapid rate. But nevertheless, it's decaying. And we know, we understand um, how alpha particles are damaging to cells. We understand that very clearly. Uh, Cytologically, if we we look at alpha particles embedded in cell cultures, there's very clear damage. uh, mutagenic, teratogenic damage to, to, to cells. So, you know, we take these granules that are uh, sintered uranium uh, uh, powder. So this is uranium dioxide, which has a very low solubility. It means that once it's inside your body, it's, it's not going to get out of your body very easily. In particular, it's osteophilic. So it goes to bone and it could park itself in a kid's bone for, for years and years and years. Granted, it's got a very low, a very long half-life. It doesn't emit that many alpha particles. It is nevertheless going to be sitting there for a long time. The longer it sits there, the more likely it's going to emit. Furthermore, the more atoms of uranium you put into your kid's body, the greater the risk. So the more you put in, the, the greater the risk. So, you know, I, I just, for the life of me, I cannot understand why there's a need to expose children to these kinds of risks. And I have to say, I've looked all over the place for really good, high-quality studies of, of uh, children and uh, uranium dioxide in particular. Uh, not, not, we're not looking at minors here. We're not looking at males over the age of 50, smokers or anything like that. We're looking at kids specifically. I, I haven't been able to find anything. And we're also, we're also looking at uranium dioxide specifically because it is insoluble now, relative to other forms of uranium, which are mined. Uh, it, that's relatively soluble. And uranium dioxide, it's going to stay in a kid's body for a long time. That's pretty clear. So um, our concern is that there's not a – why should the onus be on us to prove that this is harmful? It should be the other way around. 
It should be BWXT and CNSC's responsibility to prove that this is safe. They haven't done that. And there's just a lack of studies. Um, As you might understand, it's difficult to study for 70 years. It's difficult for children. There's all kinds of of factors that we need to consider. So why not do this someplace safer? You know, there's 1 million square kilometers in this province. Really, you tell me that you have to put this facility 25 meters from a public school. I I scratch my head thinking about it. Uh, I really don't understand. As you were talking, Peter, I just wondered, what has Peterborough Public Health said about this issue over the last couple of years? Uh, well, they, they, they said the uranium's relatively safe. <laughs> the relatively safe is uh, kind of, that's not much assurance for the parent of the kid. And that was the former yeah. um, chief medical officer of health. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. So, so, yeah, again, you know, I, I don't know how, as a medical officer of health, you can say that something is safe when you don't have any direct studies. Um, and you need to look at uranium dioxide in particular. You need to look at uh, these granules, these small chunks, specks of uranium that potentially could be inhaled into a child's lung. And, you know, I, I have a problem with this uh, centering process involving hydrogen gas. So these are very high temperatures uh, that the uranium is baked at uh, with um, an atmosphere of pure hydrogen. So there is a risk there uh, that the hydrogen could leak and that there could be an explosion. It happened uh, twice before. This was not a part of the hearing documents. So (laughs) these documents weren't public. They came out after the hearing. Uh, There were two explosions in, in Toronto. Uh, related to the use of hydrogen gas. So, you know, I, I, I don't know how uh, a medical officer of health or anybody else could quantify the risk associated with this facility. Uh, we, we do know, though, that uh, uranium is radioactive. Um, uh-huh. it, it, we know that alpha particles are carcinogenic. We know that the uranium, uranium dioxide is insoluble and it links to go to bone. And we know that there's young children uh, next to this facility, and there's neighbors all around this facility. So, you know, why expose these people to any kind of risk at all? That would be my question. Yeah, I, I, I know when I, I drive into Toronto, I see uh, the Darlington plant. You, know, you can see it from the highway, and it's in the middle of a very vacant open space there's lots of room around that planet it's next door to nothing really thing. Uh, and yet when you drive down monaghan road the plants right next to the sidewalk I, I get it that the plant does not have enriched uranium they don't have a reactor and all that but still the the uh, contrast is striking uh peter could you describe what bwxt is doing to monitor their operations for possible contamination, beryllium, and so on. Yeah, so uh, we haven't really talked about beryllium so far, but beryllium has been an ongoing um, issue, um, both in the CNSC decision and with uh, BWXT's monitoring. The the CNSC 
uh, staff, so these are the hundreds of employees who work in offices in Ottawa, uh, these staff are responsible for ascertaining whether or not a facility is safe. And before the hearing began, they recommended that pelleting be allowed on the basis that emissions at this plant were well characterized. That was not true. The emissions were not characterized, well characterized, in particular, the most dangerous emission at this facility, which is beryllium, uh, beryllium chloride in particular. And this beryllium, if you look at the CNSE's own data, they're, they're, they started to um, analyze the beryllium emissions from this facility using soil samples. And those soil samples showed an alarming uh, uptrend in uh, beryllium soil levels uh, at, at the Prince of Wales playground and in uh, other sampling sites around the facility. So this really got a number of people going. First of all, for, because the CNSE didn't raise the alarm. It was a local uh, a professor at, at Trent University who actually raised the alarm, uh, did the statistical analysis, showed that these results were really eye-popping. And subsequent to that, during the hearing, the, the staff at the CNSE were backpedaling, uh, defending themselves, said that, well, we think there were lab problems. Well, uh, since the hearing, we, we now have, uh, I believe it's a total of uh, seven years worth of results, and they've gone up virtually every year. Not in Prince of Wales Playground. Most recently, there was uh, the results show a down, dip down. But overall, around the plant, um, this is why characterizing the emission sources, looking at um, wind directions, all of these things are relevant when you have housing so close to a facility. You have to know these things. You have to. And the CNSC has been negligent on this. They, they haven't looked at uh, a wind rose. I think they include a wind rose in any of the reports leading up to the, leading up to the decision uh, that the CNSC made. And, um, you know, th these things are all very relevant. In any case, the beryllium hasn't dropped yet. And the attempts to explain this as statistical anomalies, I mean, the, the they went through a huge statistical exercise to prove that, that they're... <laughs> to disparage their own results. They spent, had a lot, a lot of effort spent uh, trying to discount their own findings. And, you know, that's a bit of a joke um, because they, they, going into the hearing, they said that their, their labs were state-of-the-art. And so they spent a lot of time, a lot of effort going back to try to discount all of their results. And uh, ultimately, what, what the results are showing is an increase. So, again, this year, uh, unofficially, they're... Um, there's an increase in the beryllium around this plant. Not, fortunately not, in Prince of Wales Playground, but overall there is an increase. And, you know, that shouldn't be happening. Uh, beryllium chloride is carcinogenic. It's a nasty, it's a really bad comp. And we have our own theories as to why this might be happening. I'm really quite anxious to see that the CNSC up its game. Again, I have to say to you, Bill, that there's no place like this in the world. Um, so should we be using standards that are meant for industrial parks? No. These, the standards that you set here should be uh, absolutely ironclad. They should be state-of-the-art standards using the best technology you possibly have. And if it costs you money, that's your problem because you decided to put this facility in the middle of a residential area. So... You know, I think 
that the standard that they have to uphold is different here. You need to have state-of-the-art sampling, and uh, continuous air monitoring is one of the standards that they should be should have been, been in place already, both on the stack and in the area around the facility, so that we can have a good ongoing idea of what's happening with emissions at this plant, and so we can try to narrow down why you know why are emissions going up. So th- these are all very important things. Um, Sure. So uh, one of the things that BWXT has done is gone over to sample um, at Prince of Wales, which is a first. Uh, GE Tachi refused to do that um, because they they thought believed that the minute they found something, they have to take the responsibility for it, um, <laughs> which is a bit crazy. I, you know, the public school kids. I don't know. I, I don't understand that. But the BWXT, to its credit, has decided to go over and sample, but the, the lab standards that they use, uh, the, the contract that, that they use, you'll see that all the results are ND, 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 which, is, which means non-detect, which means that you're, 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 you're trying to measure uh, things with, with a cudgel. You're, you're using a blunt instrument uh, rather than uh, something that has the ability to resolve small increases. And that's what you're trying to detect. You're trying to see if there are small, and I mean small, uh, like uh, micrograms, uh, uh, small levels of uh, increase of beryllium in, in the soil. And unfortunately, those, those results don't have a whole lot of meaning because, you know, if you're, if you're using a really blunt instrument to measure something, uh, you're not going to see these small changes that you need to right. see. Um, so that's our concern around what BWXT is doing. We, we'd be really happy to see BWXT do continuous airborne monitoring, and we'd be really happy to do it on, see them doing it on their affluent stack, and in particular around uh, the, the facility. We, we have concerns that beryllium's kind of an, an odd atom, and um, it, it, it'll go through things uh, because it's quite tiny. Um, so trapping some of this stuff is difficult. You're not going to trap, you, you don't necessarily trap gaseous beryllium in HIPAA filters. It can go straight through it. And if you're saying, well, our, our sampling is not showing anything, it can also go through your sampling, through your, your, uh, your paper. So what we feel is, is important to have around this facility is continuous airborne monitoring where you have ongoing detection. So as the uh, beryllium comes out of its gaseous phage and, and becomes uh, a particle, it's easier to pick that up. Um, and, and that's what uh, Julian Ahern, Dr. Julian Ahern, has been arguing for from Trent University. Okay. Now, the hearing is uh, on March 21st, and here we are on the 15th, so time is getting short. Could you just tell us what the timing will be once the hearing is over? How long is the wait? When will the decision come down? And then... Uh, Let's close that with, uh, and how can listeners get involved? How can people who are concerned about this stay in touch with the issue? Yeah, um, well, <clears throat> to uh, you can visit our website, nopellets.ca. We have a fundraising campaign going on. We're trying to raise, um, you know, if the decision goes against us, uh, then we have the potential for court costs. Um, so uh, BWXT could be awarded court costs. We, we, we are fairly confident in our ability to win this, but nevertheless, we feel um, that we also 
should um, you know, we need to to fundraise against that possibility. We also will have expenses from our lawyers um, and and uh, things like copying and all these things cost a lot of money. So we uh, we're fundraising for that purpose. And you know, I, I really what what everybody should be doing in this community is keeping their eye on this. We we don't really know how long the process is going to go for. We thought we would have been over by now. We thought the hearing would have happened in October the end of September, um, but here we are in March and it still hasn't happened. So, you know, I, I just keep an eye on things, you know, and a, a critical eye in particular. You have, you need to think a bit about, uh, about some of this stuff. And um, our concern is that um, there hasn't, there just hasn't been enough jurisprudence here. And uh, we need the CNSE to follow the Canadian Nuclear Safety Act regulations. Uh, we need to know where emissions are. We know we need to know that the CNSC is making decisions with the mind of the health of children. Uh, with, or sorry, with, with the health of children in, in their mind, um, uh-huh. and really following the Alara principle. Kids shouldn't be exposed to radiation where it's not necessary. Great. Well, thank you so much, Peter. This uh, this helps answer so many of these questions. Uh, you used the phrase just uh, just to finish off jurisprudence. Could you just briefly explain that? Well, I, I, I just believe that um, you have to have the best interests of the community at heart. And um, there's no question here. Nobody can deny that when you bring this facility into Peterborough, um, you are going to increase risk. And um, you know, measuring that risk is a problem. As I mentioned, we just don't know how it potentially could impact kids or the course of their lifespan. Um, and what we need is that the, the CNSC is going to follow um, what the Canadian Nuclear Safety Act has laid out for them. And, and they need to consider planning. They need to consider our community. They didn't consider mental, um, you know, this, the impact of this facility on the mental health of individuals, interestingly. But, you know, they, they need to think about how uh, this will impact the neighborhood and the school, and uh, not having plans—that's not following jurisprudence, I don't think. <laughs> right. You should have those plans present. Sure. Any last words as we close out here? Well, say a prayer for us. Um, and, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We 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 think we're going to be successful, and um, we're, we wouldn't have done it if we didn't believe in our case. So we, we believe in it, but, uh, you know, we can use community help. It's always, um, you know, if, if you can contribute financially, that would be very, very helpful to us. Otherwise, you know, morally, uh, contacting your MP, uh, contacting your MPP, uh, contacting your local politicians, just to tell them, you know, look, you guys need to be thinking about this. And a lot of people, Unfortunately, they hide behind the CNSE decisions. Uh, so they say, well, we don't have anything to do with the CNSE. Maybe. No, that's not the case. You have a voice, and, and your politicians have a voice in particular. And opposition to this should be very clear, both from a political perspective and from a community perspective. Well, Peter, thank you so much. Uh, talking with Peter Harris of CARN, Communities Against uh, Radioactive Neighborhoods. Okay, thank you, Bill. This podcast is 
primarily focused on the March 21st hearing. If you need more information about CARN, just go to their website, nopellets.ca. And thanks again, Peter. You've been listening to episode 114 of the Pints and Politics podcast. We post on Twitter at Bill Temp and on our Facebook page, Pints and Politics Podcast. We're also available on iTunes and Stitcher. So until next time, this is Bill Temple. We'll be right back.